Hello. Hello. And welcome to a mini episode of Coquette, or the ye old historical horror podcast, if you've listened before. This is the podcast where we tell you about women and other disenfranchised peoples throughout history who are remembered for their deviance from the norm. The point is to talk about them as people. We are not here to lecture you. That's my day job. We are here to tell their stories. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tanaya. And this week, we're going to speak about 17th century witches. Tanaya will be telling you about Maren Splint, a woman wrongly accused of witchcraft at the height of the Danish Renaissance. And Kristen is telling you the story of three slave women caught up in the Salem witch trials, Mary Black, Candy, and the famous Tituba. Because 2020 is really weird and Halloween doesn't matter because it's fall, even though it's a million degrees outside, let's talk about women who were called witch because they deviated from the prescribed norms of society. Madeline Miller, best-selling author of Circe and the Song of Achilles, wrote in 2018 in The Guardian, a better parallel to witch is the word whore. Both are time-honored tools for policing women meant to shame them into socially prescribed behavior. A whore transgresses norms of female sexuality. A witch transgresses norms of female power. The word witch, like whore, is almost exclusive for women. Men get to be wizards, warlocks, and sorcerers. Like, you know, I don't think it would be the same if Harriet Potter had come across a Hagrid who says, you're a witch, Harrietta. Or even like when you do get a tale of a witch at school learning, like the good witch, you have to qualify that she's a good witch. Right? No one uses the word wizard or warlock as a, as a slur term. And throughout history, women could be accused of witchcraft for pretty much anything, from being mother to a baby that miraculously recovered from a terrible fever Or a woman who didn't have children. God, could you imagine being accused of witchcraft because you're a good mother? I know. It's any time that you deviated. Yeah. Witch! Ban the witch! Ban the witch! Yeah, so I mean, women, if they were especially vocal and exercised power in a passion unacceptable to their peers, you know, burn them. It's also worth noting that T&I's understanding of witches is completely influenced by our upbringing. Our images are forever linked to witch burnings and evildoers. But also, in my case, by being raised by hippies who burn incense and do tarot card readings. So why don't you kick us off? Because I think, though we're both talking about the 17th century, you're a little earlier than I am. Right. So my PhD supervisor actually recommended this witch when I, when he found out that I was not doing my PhD every waking hour of the day. He's Danish, so shout out to my Danish supervisor. Uh, and he recommended, as the Danes say, Marin's blood, so, or we'll call her Marin. 
Typically, not much is known about Marin before her marriage. She was born around 1600 and came from a town called Grimstroop. So the record of Marin's life begins following her marriage to a tailor named Lord Spleed. He was the master tailor of the town of Reba by 1628, maybe a little bit before then, but we don't have any records prior. Marin maintained a certain independence by running an inn from their house, and she was, I don't know if famous is the right word, but she was well known for the pride in which she dressed and for her quick temper. And if you're the wife of the master tailor of Reba, like, bitch, you better dress well. Yeah, you've got, like, you are a walking sales catalog. Exactly. In 1637, she was accused of being a witch by the tailor, by the tailor Diedrich. Uh, His name is, in the records, is Diedrich Schroeder, but Schroeder means tailor, so Diedrich Taylor. The sources that I used said that he might have been jealous of Lord's bleed success, but... I'm going to correct that and say he was definitely jealous. I'm thinking if you're a tailor, then a really good way to take down your enemies would be like, oh, his wife's a witch. Oh, 100%. Discredit the man. Diedrich Schroeder claimed that three women entered his house one evening. He did not know who two of them are, but the third was our dear sweet Marin. They held him down, and Marin forced his mouth open at which point she breathed into his throat, and that made him ill, and he vomited. In the vomit was a strange lump of, quote, living matter. This lump of vomit was used as evidence against Marin. Everyone in the court's like, ooh, great. Can I touch it? Does it, is it gushy? I, I do wish that they had, like, kept it as, like, proof of record and it was sitting in some archive for, like, 500 years. So, yeah, the, the lump of vomit, it was shown to everybody, uh, including the supreme authority in Reba. The feudal overlord, Albert Skeel at Reberhus. Reberhus. The priests and bishops in Reba assembled. Everyone looked at it, poked at it, and they did agree that the lump was not a natural phenomenon and that a witch must have had a hand in it. So, Marin was put on trial. Lorit Spleed, the master tailor, went, are you fucking kidding me? And the trial was dismissed against his wife. But in 1639, two years later, Diedrich found some more witnesses probably other unhappy tailors or people that she might have kicked out of her inn for getting too drunk or, you know, men that she turned down or, you know, any number of people. Mm -hmm. And he approached the Danish king, King Christian IV. Like his Stuart contemporaries, King Christian was obsessed with witches and believed that they did harm to him both at his home and to his uh, war campaigns. So Christian IV was super stoked that this tailor and Reba was like, I have a witch for you. And Christian's like, yeah, let's get her. Burn her, bitch. Oh, you gotta love the 17th century. Oh, so good. Oh, the Protestant Reformation's happened. The patriarchy is ruling. All these kings are like, ooh, these women are being very naughty. I want to burn them or hang them. 
Well, honestly, Christian IV was a really interesting king, and he's not really that well known in the Anglophone communities because, you know, Danish. But his second wife was like a notorious harlot. So, and and Christian IV was also like, they had kind of a, a golden age under him. Christian IV obtained for his kingdom a level of stability and wealth that was virtually unmatched elsewhere in Europe. He engaged Denmark in numerous wars, including the Thirty Years War, which devastated much of Germany, undermined the Danish economy, and cost Denmark some of its conquered territories. He also rebuilt and named the Norwegian capital city uh, Christiania after himself, but after the Norwegians became independent, they were like, fuck you, or Ashklo. Yeah. I, oh, I knew that. Okay, so that's him. That's him. Yeah, he yeah he ruled for fifty nine years. Like, not I an significant amount of time. Yeah, he did he did a lot, and then his wife Kirsten Munk is a really interesting floozy. Anyway, it was also not about him. I know he was also busy burning some witches. So, as you do when you're king. Tell me about Marin. Seventeenth century. Marin was found guilty. However. She was once more acquitted by another court in Reba because they were like, this bitch is not a witch. We know her. We're cool. We're friends. She's like, free beer at the inn for anyone who proclaim my innocence. My husband will make you the finest dresses. You'd like a coat? You want a coat? It's getting cold. Fancy hat? Fancy hat? <laughs> so the case was then resubmitted to the Supreme Court of Denmark where the king himself sat as the judge. Uh, he imprisoned her in the blue tower, the blow, the the blow torn blue tower in Copenhagen. She was tortured, probably using her fun friends the thumbscrews, and she confessed to being a witch, uh, even though it was prohibited to torture a prisoner before they were found guilty. So Christian the Fourth was very much like England in the sense that they felt that they could break their own rules. Marin was tortured, and under torture, she also accused a number of other women uh, as being witches. I don't know if she so much accused them as she just screamed out names in pain. So the day after the final sentence, Marin's bleed was burned at the stake as a witch on Golgabakken, which means the Gallows Hill in Reba. So many people watched her execution. So many people were there that the priests actually could barely get to her. They gave her half a pint of meat. They tied gunpowder to her back, uh, tied her to a ladder, and uh, tossed the ladder into the flames. And so Marin died. I mean, the gunpowder, that'll quicken things. It did. It was meant as a mercy. How terrifying. Like, it would be one of the most painful ways to go. It has to be. That's insane. Some, just some quick uh, information about... The Danish witch trials, and by Danish, uh, it was also ruled, they also ruled Norway at the time, so generally Scandinavian witch trials. From 1572 to 1652, there were 22 witch trials in Reba, 18 were charged with witchcraft, and 11 of them were burned at the stake. The first who was convicted was Johanna Christian's daughter Riga in 1517. 1572, and the last was Anna Broods, who was burned on April 7th, 1652. 
Only one man was accused of witchcraft. His name was Niels Holdenson Portner in 1642, but he was acquitted. And notably, anytime men are accused in witch trials, it's usually because of their association with women, not because of yeah. their own evil deeds. It's like they've been coerced to do something by a woman who was then coerced by the devil. So there were approximately 2,000 witchcraft trials in Denmark following the Protestant Reformation in 1536. Trials continued in the 1600s and became much worse after 1617. Most of the witch trials that occurred in Denmark and Norway between 1588 and 1648 occurred under Christian IV, who most men regard as a great war king. So remember that when we start talking about how great certain certain Denmark or certain monarchs are, because they fucking suck. <laughs> it's like when people are like oh i love queen victoria and it's like queen victoria is a fucking murderer she's so. a raging bitch it's like henry the eighth and like one's like oh my god he's just so fascinating i'm like he's a serial killer honestly i like i believe that i believe that oh you know elizabeth the first was terrible oh yeah she was she was quite bad we always talk about how bad Mary is, but more people died, I think, in the first few years of Elizabeth's reign than all of Mary's. Well, and her, like, her plantation rule in Ireland was pretty fucking brutal. Yeah. Do you have a concluding statement about Marin? There's nothing that spectacular about Marin herself or the specific witch trial. I initially did it because Emma Brown knows her for my supervisor, and I just want him to approve of me, and I can't get him to do that through my normal work because honestly I'm a terrible PhD student so this is the only thing I have that and like bringing him licorice which he gets better of in Denmark anyway uh anyway it's not my therapy session but it just I think that's the point is not every story we have to tell has to be some great philosophical reckoning I think it's enough just to tell the stories of normal women who suffered day-to-day experiences and by day-to-day I mean horrible persecution because even though she's just one name out of thousands this did happen to thousands like her a lot of women were just accused because grudges that were held against them were and accusations were levied by more powerful usually men yeah exactly jealous men jealous women as well Mm -hmm. we don't know who the witnesses are they might have been women but witnesses were brought against her so yeah marin spleed famous in reba but not really known in a western in, sorry not really known on an anglo anglophone world but she still deserves to have her story told and it sucks that the only thing we know about her is the story that led to her death which is framed by men i wish we could know more about her and give her life back to her I think it's also good to look at another area uh, and to look at witch trials and how they were sort of running rampant across Europe and North America in this period. Uh, You know, it's not just like there's not not only the English witch trials or the Salem witch trial. There are many other pocket outbreaks and it speaks to a much wider movement at the period. And that's really dangerous when you get wide global movements. Where people yeah, that aren't based on screaming fact. Yeah, witch hunts are dangerous. Witch hunts are really dangerous, especially when you're basing your conclusions off conspiracy theories and not established sources. 
a cautionary tale, children. This is why historians should be in government, I'm just saying. I think this is why history should be a mandatory subject in school. I agree. I did choose something that I think that's a bit more political. Um, I was looking for a witch to speak about, and then I had thought about Tichiba uh, and the Salem Witch Trials because her name is pretty synonymous with it. She's pretty famous, I'd say. She's one of the best known accusers, well, and victim of the trial. Um, but I, in my research, came across two other women who were also slaves, and I think it's worth telling their story together. In 1629, the town of Salem was settled in what is now Massachusetts. In 1641, um, it's really important to know that across the ocean, English law, which was, of course, still ruling the colonies, and therefore the town of Salem, made witchcraft a capital crime. It's the Stuarts, isn't it? That's a crazy Stuarts. Yeah. So 16, well, 1641 is... It's weird in the way that, like, my perception of North American history is so different from my perception of European history at that time. The English Civil War kicks off in 1642. Now, Salem was a little bit primed and ready to go for a witch trial. They also had a community of Puritans, and the Puritan belief and sort of the prevailing belief across New England was that women were inherently sinful and more susceptible to damnation than men were. Is this the Malleus Maleficarum? Pretty much. And you also get like the Protestant Reformation, like we mentioned earlier, the patriarchal sort of bullshit that rises. And you throw in some like bad rye and Salem was just ready to blow. Do you want to give a quick rundown of what you mean by bad rye oh yeah so apparently um what they think happened in salem i'm just remembering this from like a documentary i watched years ago is that there was (laughs) there was some harvest where they had like a bacteria or a fungi that spread across all of the harvest and everyone was basically just eating funky bread that made them high (laughs) they they were all a little fucked up super zealot and women were bad. Like, it was not going to end. They were hallucinating. They were hallucinating. So when they say, like, oh, I saw the devil, like, for them, they did see the devil. And imagine not knowing that you've just eaten, like, acid. And you're very religious, and you're in the fucking wilds of North America. I don't know if anyone's seen the witch, but no, thank you. I don't want to live in the middle of fucking nowhere. So. But the first woman that was actually hanged was a laundress named Goody Glover. Um, And she was charged with bewitching children in Salem. Now, the Salem witch trials, it's not actually just the town of Salem, but also some several of the surrounding towns. And over the course of a year, over 200 people were accused. 30 were found guilty. 19 executed by hanging, including 14 women and five men. One man was also pressed to death for refusing to plead. And at least five people died in jail. Bad conditions. And among those accused of witchcraft during the hysteria were three slaves, Mary Black, Tichiba, and Candy. This was 17th century America, and it would be almost another hundred years before slavery was, quote, effectively abolished in Massachusetts, and over a century and a half before it was abolished in the United States altogether. So who were these women? Well, we don't know a lot about their lives. Typical but I'm sorry, always. Always. But 
In this case, it's because there are a lot of unreliable records of enslaved persons that make determining the history of slavery very difficult. We can sketch out some outlines of their life, but we also get a really good snapshot through the trials of them. So we get a little moment in history of these women. Candy was an Afro-Barbadian slave under the ownership of a woman named Margaret Hawks. In the 17th century, slavery in the colonies was on the rise, and the West Indies was rapidly becoming Europe's most important center for the slave trade. Candy may have been captured from Africa and brought to the Caribbean, where she was purchased in Barbados. Interestingly, the transcripts of Candy's examination records offer evidence of her speech patterns. English was most certainly not her first language, and she was not comfortable speaking English, something that would have made her extra other in a small town. Yeah, I can I can imagine because they're also they're also facing that fear of the Native American threat. And, you know, who they also view as being here smiling, like knowingly, like I've just, oh, there's more. I'll stop talking. You tell me your story. Mary Black was a slave of African descent under the ownership of Nathaniel Putnam. Her last name tells us a lot because it's not actually a last name. Slaves were rarely ever given surnames. It was simply meant to just denote the color of her skin. Because names like Candy and Tituba are very much not white girl names, but Mary is. Exactly. And make no mistake that racial identification served as a way to objectify these women and many others, as evidenced by transcripts of the trials. And finally, you get Tituba. She's the most famous of the three. And she was a slave under the ownership of Samuel Paris, Salem's Puritan minister who owned sugar plantations in Barbados, where he likely purchased her. I did not know that. Hmm. So her origins are actually debated. The judicial records note that she was a slave originating from the West Indies. And some research by Elaine G. Breslaw found that she was a Carib woman or a Kalina, an indigenous person native to the north coastal areas of South America. So more specifically, actually, Venezuela. So she wasn't of African descent. Yeah, likely not. There was a demand for indigenous household slaves in Barbados at the time due to labor shortages, so she was probably kidnapped as a child and brought to Barbados, where she grew up in a Creole society, and at some point met her husband, John Indian. I think his last name can also tell you what they thought he was, which was Native American, but there's actually some evidence that he might also have been South American. Okay. So in the transcript records for the trials, she's always called Tichiba Indian or the Indian woman Tichiba. And something you probably don't know is that she had a daughter named Violet. I did not know that. And I'm just thinking of all the, the representations I've seen in Tichiba in Arthur Miller's play and um, God, like PBS did a show on the Salem Witch Trials with Kirstie Alley like years ago, mm-hmm. I think. Or there's like a new show, I think I watched like two episodes called Salem it's on Netflix here. I refused. <laughs> Just throwing that out there, I, I can't. I won't. But, um, but yeah, she's always been Black, like African-American black, or African Black. Yeah, and that just has a lot to do with how white people understand what they consider to be other. So if you're not white, you're just other, and people just get grouped together with no respect for 
someone's heritage or culture. Yes. John and Tichiba, and possibly also their daughter, hopefully, went to Massachusetts in 1680 with Samuel Paris, their owner. She would have still been possibly like a teenager or young adult at this point. And they settled in Salem in 1689. The first of the three women to be accused of witchcraft in the Salem witch trials in 1692 was Tichiba. And it was really because of a bunch of little white girls playing at possession. Or hallucinating in their defense. It is Paris's daughter and niece who were the first to show strange symptoms in early 1692. The girls were apparently fortune-telling, a no-no for Puritans, and went, quote, mad. Tichipa tried to help them. She made a witch cake from rye meal and urine to be fed to the girls, something that she might have thought would have assisted them. Samuel Paris saw these attempts as signs of witchcraft because he didn't understand them. He beat her and made her confess. He basically just wanted a scapegoat to understand why his daughter was acting oddly. Because if his daughter was being made to act oddly because someone else was a witch and she herself not possessed, that would have obviously been better. Yes. So on the 29th of February, 1692, Tichiba was arrested alongside two other women. Both of these women were also social outcasts. They were called Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good. She is examined, meaning questioned and tortured, and on the 1st of March, though she kind of wavered in her confession, in a hushed courtroom, Tichiba told a tale that confirmed Salem's fears. She confessed to practicing witchcraft and said that her two co-conspirators were also witches. Several people would go on to give testimony against her, including Samuel Paris. Tichiba's testimonies at trial were bizarre. She talked about dogs, rats, yellow birds, all being servants of the devil. She confessed to pinching the girls and told the court that she had signed the devil's book. She also talked about a witch coven in Boston that was operating in secret. She was sent to jail in Boston, where she would remain in prison for over a year, around 15 months. Samuel Samuel Paris, her owner, refused to pay her bail, and during her imprisonment, Salem descended into further hysteria. It was soon after that Mary Black was arrested on the 21st of April, 1692, with charges laid for high suspicion of witchcraft performed on three women. At her examination, which was recorded by one Samuel Paris, it was noted that she asked to repin her neck cloth, and a bunch of girls then started to move about in the courtroom, showing that they had been pricked, like Mary Black had performed voodoo magic on them. Oh, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Now, the charges brought against Mary Black probably had a lot more to do with politics in Salem. So it's a really good example of how someone got caught in between male bullshit. So Nathaniel Putnam, her owner, was a active op- op- he was active in his opposition to the witch trials. He even defended one of the white women accused. But his nephew was one of the lead accusers of several women, including Mary Black. So it might have been in retaliation for his defense of that white woman that Mary, his slave, was then charged. He never spoke publicly in court for Mary's defense, but she maintained her innocence all throughout her many months in jail. 
And finally, the third woman, Candy, was also accused on the 1st of July, 1692. When she was interrogated, she turned on her owner. She claimed that Margaret Hawkes had made her a witch by forcing her to sign the devil's book. When she asked how she and her owner tormented the girls, she volunteered to demonstrate and brought in puppets. And she would prick, submerge the puppets in water, and put them over fire. And the girls on the bench would act like they were then pricked, drowning, or burnt. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Despite her accusations against her owner, Margaret Hawks, the latter was never accused, as Candy's testimony was seen as unfounded. It's not really surprising because Margaret Hawks was a powerful woman. She was high up in Salem's social class. So Candy saved her own skin by accusing Margaret Hawks. Pretty much. But she did remain imprisoned until all charges were dropped in December 1692. She was found not guilty and released to her mistress. Not a witch, but still, of course, a slave. God, I wonder how Margaret Hawks treated her after that. There is no information about any of these women once they are released. Back herself was released a month later in January 1693. No one at trial appeared to go against her. They seemed to have just sort of like forgotten. And it's probable that like Candy, it was because Nathaniel Putnam was so influential in Salem that no one wanted to go against his slave. So like slave owning wasn't bad, but accusing an owner's slave of wrongdoing was a faux pas. Like Very, very uh, uh, medieval Icelandic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel Putman paid her jailing fees to bail her out, and she was forced back, obviously, to his household upon her release. Tichba, on the other hand, as I said, was not released 15 months after her imprisonment. She was also not hanged, which is kind of surprising, considering the two other women she, she was accused alongside were hanged. But historians have speculated that Tichba likely gave them a confession they wanted. She stood up in court and she did not deny her evil doings. She told them that she was predisposed as a woman to sin and as a slave to servitude. Puritans loved a good repenting apology because that meant that she could be saved. They could pray for her soul. Yeah, that's the bonkers shit, right? Is they're like, admit you're a witch and you'll live. If you say you're not a witch and you maintain your nobility, you know, we'll burn you. Exactly. And Tichiba has been seen as, like, the innocent idiot, the vicious sinner with, like, penchant for storytelling. But modern historians actually seem to say that she just knew how to play the game. She either got lucky or she was very smart. I think she was smart. She, I mean... I do, too. She knew she knew how to get out of it. Like, Yeah, exactly. And she did recant in prison, but it was after quite a time. She said her master beat her in an attempt to force a confession. But by then, the trials had wound down, and the governor of Massachusetts had ordered the arrest to stop. He was basically like, what the fuck is going on in Salem? Yeah, I think I remember this from the docs. On the 9th of May, 1693, a grand jury declined to indict her due to a lack of evidence. And she was sold to an unknown person for the price of her debts. Samuel Paris refused to pay them. When she left prison, like Mary Black and Candy, Tichiba was still a slave. Did she get to stay with her husband? What about her daughter? No idea. God damn it. 
Eventually, the state of Massachusetts gave Salem accused people back their property and gave them restitution. But for these three women, three slaves with no property and no rights, they were given nothing and they disappeared from the historical record. I hate that in popular culture, Salem is seen as an actual breeding ground of witches. In every popular TV show that features witchcraft, they're like, my great-great-grandmother was accused of sorcery from Salem, Massachusetts. And I think by doing that, it totally discounts the tribulations that these women went through. Absolutely. I think in particular, it discounts as well that there were a variety of people accused, that those accused were mostly outliers of society. They were looking for easy scapegoats because we demonize what we don't understand. So Tichiba, Mary Black, and Candy were judged by their gender, race, and status as slaves. Yeah. The accusations of voodoo, for example, like, and its misunderstanding, enforced stereotypes people held about slaves and foreign Black culture. These practices were made evil, brackets, Black magic, Black made bad. Have you started watching Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country yet? No, but I cannot wait. I've seen the first two episodes, and I I have to say that it features all Lovecraft's monsters, which is terrifying, like Call of Cthulhu still gives me nightmares. Yeah. But the racism that they face is more terrifying than any monster. It's just horrifying. And it's like, yes, it's been dramatized, but like, it's not inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of things in history get rewritten to serve narratives. Well, we've talked about that. Yeah. And Salem is, it's one of them. Witch trials are always made out to be about these women who were powerful and good and like maybe did some cool shit magic. And it's like, no, this is an example of a oppressive patriarchal system that benefited the white man and ultimately white women paid a heavy price and black women even heavier one because to say like the witch trials were only because i read a lot of stuff saying like oh witch trials were mostly reserved for white women who were accused of doing black magic and a lot of that what were things and practices like voodoo but what they don't say is the impact that has upon a society's psyche. Because when you associate those practices with evil, with, you know, like if you're doing evil by practicing something that belongs to another culture, then you are demonizing that culture. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just what you don't understand. But we can try and tell Tichipa's story. And if you would like to read the transcripts of the examinations of the trials of Candy, Mary Black, and Tichipa, I will include the links in the episode description for each. I think that reading their voices is a way to give life to these women once again. Couldn't have said that better myself. Um, I'd like to go back real quick and talk about my sources, please. Yeah. Um, It was a short one. I used Wikipedia. I used Danish Wikipedia. And then I used danhostel-reba.dk has a whole section on Marin's bleed. There's not really a lot on her, but Dan, which Dan Hostel, I'm assuming, is 
Danish hospital. Anyway, good stuff. So our song for this mini is Beaten Down by Sharon Van Etten. The lyrics are, your big old heart gets beaten down. It ain't beaten down. Don't you hear it beaten now? Thanks for listening to our mini episode about witches. You can reach us at our website, Instagram, or Twitter at Coquette Podcast. Links are in the bio. We are on all your listening platforms. Make sure to subscribe if you like hearing us ramble, and please give us a rating on iTunes. We'll be back with a full-length episode soon. Thanks for listening. Bye! My life revolved about him Lord knows I'm just no good Without him My castles have crumbled But I am his body